This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio. <laughs> the only promo that I had left, uh, kind of ironic, um, but uh, welcome to this edition of V Radio, everyone. Um, good evening to those of my listeners in the eastern side, and um, good afternoon to those of you in the uh, central and west- western side. Uh, and uh, hello to everyone listening on the archives as well, at your own, in your own time. Uh, but uh, once again, we are proud to have the Venus Project here on V Radio. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. Um, you should also check out, and it's linked at the bottom of every page of my website, thevenusproject.com. Um, that said, um, welcome, Jacques and Roxanne, back to the show. Thank you. Hi, Neil. Great to be with you again. Excellent, excellent. Well, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on, and I, I felt that it was time to do another radio show with you guys. Um, we got a lot of things to discuss tonight, and um, there are a lot of listeners in the chat room already who are asking some questions. We went over a little bit off the air. Um, and uh, I guess, first of all, uh, let me just kind of, you know, give it to you, Roxanne, to uh, give it, you know, give it a start. You know, what do you think is the biggest thing going on right now you'd like to address first? Uh, well, we're... I'm frantically trying to finish a documentary. Uh, it's about 52 minutes, and uh, it should be out in March. The trailer is out. You can see it on our website, thevenusproject.com. So take a look at that. Yeah, that looked actually really good. So what is it that you're going to be covering in this documentary that you would say is different than any of the works you guys have done so far? Well, it's mainly an introduction to the Venus Project. Some of it's been introduced before, but this is a piece that we're putting out on the Internet for free so people can duplicate it and hand it out. You know, the the activist teams that we have need something to hand out as well about this direction from made from the Venus Project, and I think this is going to be a good piece for that. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, um, I always said that my favorite piece is still uh, Welcome to the Future, so I'm looking forward to uh, see another one from you guys. Now, so basically just kind of an introduction then to the Venus Project, and you guys have the trailer up. I've already checked that out, and it looks great. I'm actually highly anticipating the release. Um, you said you're frantically trying to finish it. Um, are you guys just basically kind of nailing down? I mean, what, what what's left? Well, it's in post-production right now, and so... We're just kind of chewing up editing. Somebody else is looking at it, and they're doing the final sound and color. That's what usually happens when you do a documentary. You send it off to someone to do um, post-editing, and that's the stage that it's at. We're very lucky to get a wonderful woman who's doing the music for us, who is very anxious to help out. She likes the direction, and uh, it's Carly Paradis. Mm-hmm. The music is great, and she did a good job with it. All right, excellent. Um, what do you think of the film so far, Jacques? Well, I think it gives it a, a kind of an overview of what the Venus Project is about. Of course, we can't cover all the details. There's so many different things, like the transportation system, the energy system, the agricultural belt. There's so many things that have to be included in it, and uh, by that time, the time we work on it, it'll be somewhat different. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I've I've seen that also in my own projects that I work on. Um, so, 
I guess now, you know, we, we're going to have kind of a good film that's an overview that's, you know, solely about the Venus Project that we'll be able to, you know, use and, as you said, distribute for free and help to get the information out there. You guys have had a lot of opportunities to get exposed, um, you know, especially with the Occupy movement. Um, we talked a little bit about your experience with Occupy Miami the last time we were on. Have you guys had any um, any other contacts with any other Occupy movements? Uh, yeah, we, we always have people calling us from different movements of the Occupy groups and talking to us and trying to expose the Venus Project to them. And I think we just heard from somebody, I have to go over that, with them again who was going to every Occupy movement and they wanted to talk about the Venus Project, which was really nice. And in, um, I think it was in Dallas, there was somebody who got the book. Well, actually, we sent them the book and some information, and they were going to put it in the library there, and they're talking to people at, at Dallas about the Venus Project. So it is getting out there. Yeah. Right. Have you, I guess uh, the, the Occupy movement uh, definitely is kind of an example of the, the people kind of rising up and exposing that, you know, they've had enough, and then they're just kind of rife by, you know, with looking for answers. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing a presentation about, you know, various things that we've been working on at the Occupy Detroit um, uh, event coming up here pretty soon. Uh, but it's it's good that people have been receptive. There's It's definitely a melding pot of different people out there, and I'm looking forward to showing them your film when it's finished, for sure. We're planning on doing some movie nights. Uh, yes, I think that would work out real well with that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, um, in addition to that, uh, you guys, Jacques, recently got a chance to address. Uh, at, well, go ahead and tell me, you know, re- explain what that was all about again, Roxanne. Oh, the American Institute of Architecture uh, in Orlando, um, in Florida. It, it was a really nice lecture because it was in a university, and the students came as well, and many of the professors had showed their students the film Future by Design, and if people were interested in that, that's a documentary on Jacques and the Venus Project, and that's on Netflix. Um, so the students were all excited to come to the, the lecture as well, and it, it just went off, went out, came across really well. Everything did, you, really uh, did you enjoy it, Jacques? Yes, I always enjoy inquiry. You know, people asking questions about it. The Venus Project, how it operates. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I bet that had to have been an excellent opportunity. I hope to see that you guys get an opportunity to do that from um, now on. Actually, there was a, another question in the chat room not long ago in regards to you guys' uh, re- pre-recorded TED presentation. There are a lot of people that are very anxious to see it. Um, did you get any kind of commentary about it yet um, as far as response? No, we really haven't heard anything. I think it was up last night. We're going to put it up on our website. We'll do that. Um, so, we, 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 yeah, we will get it up real soon. <laughs> probably through your probably your YouTube channel. Yes, it, it'll go up there. That's what I figured. We have to work on it a bit because it was high res, and we we will get it up within the next week, I'm sure, or or maybe sooner. Maybe that's something we can do tomorrow. Excellent. Now, so we'll we'll definitely be looking for that. Now, I guess. Um, there were also just kind of inquiries, general inquiries about the major motion picture. I know you guys actually managed to meet your fundraising goal. Uh, are you still searching for a scriptwriter? Well, we have somebody that we're working with now, and we'll see how it goes. So far, we've liked what they've done, and we're taking it little by little. And um, 
you know, I'm sure it'll have to go through many scriptwriters, as we've been told, as this progresses. But uh, I, we'll, um, we're working with somebody, and and um, I, I can't say for sure, but we like what he did. So excellent. I mean, does he does he believe in the direction? Is he you know really taking a look at it? Yeah, and he's very excited about working with us and developing something. And um, so we'll we'll just take it step by step. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's all definitely good news. Now, um, is there, okay, you guys also, there was the, the magazine. You want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. We have a, <clears throat> a web magazine that you can find on our on our website at uh, tbpmagazine.com. That will be coming out monthly, I believe. I was amazed that, a, you know, a lot of the activists, a lot of the people working with us just – so they were going to do it, and, and they did very quickly. So um, you can check that out, and it, it, it's a really nice piece. Excellent. It's pretty interesting. Now, is that something you guys are going to be doing regularly? Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yep. So, I mean, is that something that you guys accept outside uh, submissions for articles too? Or? Well, right now we're asking different people to write write on different technologies, what's new, and um, then we'll be writing about different views regarding the Venus Project and Jacques' work and his findings. And um, I, I don't know if we're doing submissions yet, but, right. uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not in charge of the magazine. So if you, if you go to our, the Get Involved and TVP magazine, and um, you'll find it there, and it says all submissions should be sent to review here. So, yes, you can make submissions. Excellent, excellent. I've just been so involved in the documentary that I've let a lot of things go, and I haven't been involved in a lot of things that were happening, and other people are just taking it and going with it. So it's it's really nice. I love that. It's great that you guys have some people to work with that, you know, you have so much trust in and that, you know, things can come together so smoothly. You know, um Jacques, my first question for you is: uh, After all this time that you've been working on this, you know, how do you feel about where things are in the Venus Project? You know, you're finally getting, you know, some of this recognition. You're making some moves forward. Um, and, you know, to be now 94 or 95 years old, to, you know, now that you're finally realizing it. I'll be 96 in March. Wow. March today. He'll be 96 in 12 more days. Ninety-six and twelve more days. Well, happy birthday ahead of time, Jack. You know, oh, lo- looking back on this journey for ninety-six years, you know, um, what does it feel like to be where you're at now? I wish I started earlier. Uh, in other words, there's so much to do. You know, so many things to change and modify and update that there's there's no end to the to the project. Uh, don't forget, the Venus Project is not an established system. It's an emergent system, which is constantly changing. The city design, the transportation systems, communication and education is always in a state of modification. There are no final frontiers. That's uh, Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons I tell people you know, that one of the major reasons why there's an advantage to using science to approaching mankind's problems is that science advances. It doesn't hold on to old concepts. If you can prove that something works better, then the science changes accordingly. 
It doesn't hold to things stubbornly like, say, institutions like religion or even politics seem to. Yeah. Well, just consider this, Neil. If you lived in Salem, Massachusetts, you'd have been born burned as a witch. <laughs> so you have no chance at all because the value system of people were very primitive. They still are primitive. Yeah. I find the newscast very painful. The language is so old, they don't even know how to talk about the problems. The Democrats can't communicate with the Republicans, and the Republicans have difficulty communicating with the Democrats. How do you expect to solve international problems if we can't even do it at home here? I agree completely with that. Uh, some of the listeners actually are very insistent on bringing this to your attention, so I will. Uh there's apparently a contest on YouTube for your your film festival. Uh, you can submit a short film, and if you win, you can get five hundred thousand uh, dollars. Apparently, well, we won't win because the system is so difficult to understand for the average person, and they really don't give us enough time to really work on it. I'd like to hear about that, but you know, from what I've seen about contests in the past, they're they're so established. You know, they're within the monetary system and the price system that I've never seen them explore anything else. It, it, you know, like the, um, I, I stayed up and watched some of the Ted City contest thing, and I was a bit horrified as to the direction they were going in. I didn't even see the end of it, but it, it was chaos to me. It's, it's like attending a meeting at the Pentagon. You know, it's just irrelevant. Yeah, I remember actually uh, not long ago there was a some kind of internet newspaper called uh, the Mark, which is Canadian, and uh, they had the basically you you could win a contest to win a conversation with the head of the Green Party of Canada, yeah. and I won that contest. And during the course of the conversation with her, you know, talked to her about the Venus Project and the resource-based economy. They were supposed to post that video, and they never did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Just, it just kind of vanished, and then I contacted their editor about it, and they said, oh, well, we'll post it, but it, it, it had some technical difficulties. It's been like six months. They never put it up. Well, don't forget, this is the tail end of the medieval culture, mm -hmm. last days of the old monetary system. It's collapsing all over the world, and people really don't know enough about it to install a new system. You have to educate people as to how you think about things and why you think the way you do. And that's a tough job because they've already been conditioned to the old monetary system. And they think all you have to do is write your congressman. You can't write them. You have to educate your congressman. Mm -hmm. And if you do educate them, they'd resign. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. That's... It's funny, actually, you talk about that, and I don't think people really, I don't think it ever really occurs to them how our congressmen rarely have any training that would help them. Well, they uh, have no value system at all. They have no way of looking at things. So that's why I don't talk to them, because they can't talk to them. How can you talk to Harpo? Mm -hmm. And here, you know. And there's so many red flags when you start to talk to them. You have to be very careful of what you're saying because they associate so many things um, to things, experience. yeah, to things that are that are fearful Irrelevant. for them. You know, they've been trained to to have. If you talk about cooperation or you talk about communal things, they they all, all of a sudden 
communism comes up or socialism, they don't even know what those words mean. But the United States is so uneducated in so many things. Most people in the United States, they've got them so dummied down in a lot of ways through the news. I'd say primitive. A very primitive outlook. Even the questions people ask are still related to the monetary system. Rarely do we hear any new questions about the Venus Project. They they always compare it to the old monetary system. They now, ask questions within the monetary system. Oh, uh, they actually were suggesting, well, actually, I'm going to repeat the information. Uh, if you didn't catch a release for the date for the new film, it's because they said it's going to be sometime in March. Is that correct? Yes. yes. <laughs> sometime in March. That's tentative. I got best to stick to that. And we might know the date more so as, as things progress. Right. Now, somebody is asking in the chat room, um, Jock, what do you feel about the technocracy organization today? Uh, you know, he said that he knows you had problems with them because of their values in the 30s, but now they're international. I didn't know that. Uh, they were always for the United States, uh, making it happen in the U.S., but they invited Canada in and all the way down to Panama. But uh, it was never international, and there were never any Orientals in the organization. There were never any blacks in the organization, and that bothered me. So at that time, I resigned because I could not support that concept. But I don't know, maybe today they've outgrown those those bits. I don't know. So, yeah, you just haven't had any further contact with them, I guess. Um, well, even the application had race on it. So I asked Scott why he had race on there. He said he didn't want too many of any one kind of people on there. Well, I said, look, even if a crab liked technocracy, I'd invite all the crabs in. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't make sense because Scott was conditioned prior to the, to the new information. And at headquarters, technocracy's headquarters, there was a sign, all is conditioning. And apparently they didn't seem to know what that meant. So basically, I mean, I guess at that point, I know, I know a lot of people still, for example, they don't really realize the hold that things like racism had um, on them. And even people that I know that are not racist, you know, I know people who, for example, you know, would invite, you know, a black person over to their home, but they might have a problem with their daughter dating one, you know, <laughs> which they, but they wouldn't know how to voice that. Like, you know, they wouldn't be as overt about it as, say, a Klan member or something, but you know, it's still in there in the back of their head. Yeah. You're right there. It, it takes a, it's a very different system and it takes a very different kind of thinking. In other words, what we're trying to do is manage the Earth's resources intelligently so it serves the maximum for all the world's people. And technocracy never talked about that. Although they talked about blueprints for the future, I have never seen any of the blueprints. I wanted to know about it, but at the time, I was never shown. I was always told that technocracy had a blueprint, but I've never seen the blueprint. The only blueprint I've ever seen was the continental hydrology. That is waterways across the continent, which I submitted a lot of ideas toward. Now, um, 
one of the things actually that happened to me recently, Jacques, that I wanted to kind of credit you with was that I'm now at the age, you know, or rather my daughter's at the age where I'm having to teach her how to read. And in these circumstances, I'm really beginning to understand why you feel that there needs to be a universal language because when you're teaching somebody English, you know, I never looked at this before I listened to your work. You know, English is so ridiculous when you try to teach it to someone, especially like to speak it isn't so bad, but when you're reading it, the, so many of the rules contradict each other and, you know... Even the dictionary doesn't have the same interpretation of words. You know, I think the best way to think about it is language is subject to interpretation. And when you read the Bible, it's subject to interpretation. When you read any book, it's subject to interpretation. But if you're Republican, uh, you already have your interpretations. And if you're a Democrat, you have a different type of interpretation. So we, we have to evolve a language that's not subject to interpretation, which is mathematics, chemistry, engineering. When engineers talk to each other, they understand each other. It's not subject to interpretation. If it were, you couldn't build bridges or buildings or automobiles. When you do a blueprint to an automobile, all of the characteristics, the metallurgy, the shape of the car, the horsepower, is all defined, well-defined. So when you read it, it's not subject to interpretation. As long as matter, as long as language is subject to interpretation, you can't build a universal concept of things. And the nearest thing to that is the language of science. All over the world, scientists use very similar systems and not subject to interpretation. Now, on the, uh, the fra basically the, the phrase that we're on, uh, basically, of this concept, somebody in the audience is suggesting, how would you go about inventing this new language? Uh, first of all, we would use the language of science, uh, mathematics, chemistry, physical description, blueprints. That's the language I'm talking about. So in the future, when you talk to children in school, there are diagrams on the blackboard that show exactly what you're talking about. So it's not subject to interpretation. When you talk of the construction of a dam, it shows a dam going up. And it shows that on the side of the dam, there are steps so the fish can climb up to the spawning grounds. In other words, you visualize everything. You convert language to visual displays so that people cannot listen and then imagine something else. There's definitely... There's definitely a better way to do that. Um, I've been using a program called Rosetta Stone that helps people learn languages, and it basically teaches you through pictures. Yes. If you have physical reference for what you're talking about, it's not subject to interpretation. When you talk of a bridge, if you show a suspension bridge and the cables are supporting that bridge and how they determine the thickness of the cables, they support them to subject them to stress tests and see how much each cable can carry. So all of the specifications in any technological blueprint covers all that detail. The everyday language that people use is very sloppy, very general. And so I would say whenever you talk or lecture to a group of people 
it's always subject to interpretation. That's why lawyers exist. They can take <laughs> language and bend it in any direction they want to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm experiencing all sorts of that right now. They have to have a whole profession that's extremely expensive just to interpret law. And well, as you're you're sitting there in the room with them, they actually spend more time obfuscating the truth of the law rather than actually interpreting it. Yes, because even the Supreme Court judges would be considered criminals because the lawyers would be considered criminals and judges would be considered criminals because they don't know what factors shape human behavior. If they did, they'd never put a person in prison. That's the cruelest thing you can do to a human being, is lock them up for years. I agree, and it certainly doesn't fix anyone. Um, no, <laughs> if, if environment shapes behavior, sticking them in an environment of bad people isn't going to help. The society you live in today is one gigantic system of chaos. For sure. Now, no go ahead. Out. Go ahead. They use words like reason. There's no such thing as reason. Our society is based on predatory techniques, how to beat the other fellow, how to get ahead, how to earn more money at any cost. And so the reason we send armies out there is not to build democracy in the world. It's because they have oil or cheap labor or something we need. Once you understand that, you can understand that the system is basically corrupt. There's nothing you can do within the monetary system. You have to change it to a new design. And you have to explain that design to people. Why are you doing it that way? Why you don't have a democracy? You can't have a democracy. Really, the reason you can't have a democracy is that people earn different amounts of money from minimum wage to maximum millions then people don't drive the kind of car they want. They drive what they can afford. They don't live in the house they want. They live in the house they can afford. You can't have a democracy if you have social stratification. Now, there's another question here uh, from the audience, actually from a long-time listener. Uh, and if environment shapes behavior, why not build the city first to create that environment? Well, first we have to arrange the mental set so the people accept the city. If we can give them a mental set to understand why the city looks as it does, why it's designed that way, and once they understand that, they don't have to work on it. You see, it's our outlook that has to be changed. If you build a new city and you put normal people in it, they'll louse it up just because of their value system. Also, we'd have to have people understand the importance of the new city and how it shapes behavior, how it would change people, because we don't have the money or the power <clears throat> to build a new city. People always say, when you're going to build it, it's not up to just us. We can't do it. So if within the monetary system, we have to have funding to do something like that, or the resources. Now, the value system is extremely important, and uh, Jack Reed from Community Planet, before he can involve anybody in his project, he usually screens them ahead of time to kind of get a handle on what kind of people they are, because if you introduce people who have the wrong value system, no amount of technology you know, or situation is really going to help you. Um, 
This is also true of social methodologies. For example, the Occupy movement utilizes a consensus model decision-making, um, but it was designed by the Quakers, who tend to be very passive and very calm people. Uh, and if you put people in that system of consensual decision-making and they don't hold the same paradigm of being nice to everyone in the room, it doesn't necessarily work <laughs> because their values are still from the old system where bullying people or pushing people around is still exactly. accepted. You're right, Neil. Uh, that's why it's so important. When people come here to the tours, it isn't really a tour. It's kind of a cerebral enema that I give people. Clean out all the old crap and put a new value system in there. At least they learn that when they come here. It's very easy to get to people at these meetings here because if they read the book, it requires a lot of interpretation. I'm talking about the book called The Best That Money Can Buy. If you read that book twice, at least you'll have some idea of what the Venus Project is about. I love the book, actually, and um, I was kind of already sold, you know, before I even got it. And, you know, we did do some reading of it on V Radio. If anybody's interested in just checking out some portions of it, because I didn't read the whole thing, because I still want people to buy Jock's book, you can check that out on the archive section at v-radio.org. We had discussions on different chapters. Um, now, actually, that was another opportunity that I wanted to bring up to the audience. You guys are doing kind of an audio lecture series on the Venus Project TeamSpeak. Is that correct? Yes, there are different people that are holding educational meetings on TeamSpeak. Oh, you're talking about Sundays when we're doing, yeah, we, if that's what you're talking about. But there's a lot of other things going on as well. Sundays on TeamSpeak at uh, 1 o'clock now, it had changed. We, um, we're... We used to just take questions, but now we're doing a lecture. We're just playing one of Jacques' lectures, and then people are asking questions about it. Excellent, excellent. Now, there's another good question here. Um, this one is from someone who's currently reading your book, Jacques. Um, and it's uh, he says that, okay, he's asking, what does Jacques mean with this passage, student performance would be based on competence accreditation in other words, when something goes wrong with your plumbing, you call a plumber. When something goes wrong with your electricity, you call electrical people. And when you want a bridge built, you use bridge engineering. I don't know what they mean when they say, does the public participate? If they have no training, they can't participate. The public cannot be educators if they don't know the subject matter that they're dealing with. Does that make sense? Yes. They use terms like, is this from the top down or the bottom up? <laughs> Everything has always been from the top down. Everything from engineering is always, uh, when you want to build a project and send men to the moon, you have to get rocket people together, space scientists, um, astronomers, people that know that field. You can't work from the bottom-up. I don't know what they're talking about when they talk about the bottom-up. There's always Albert Einstein, Louis Pasteur, uh, the Wright brothers. It's never come from the public. There's never been a team that suggested a future direction for society. It's always guys like Karl Marx or H.G. Wells or Howard Scott 
or Thorsten Veblen that have come up with ideas. It never comes from the bottom up. I don't know what they're talking about. What they're trying to say is, will the public participate? Yes, if they have the knowledge. You can't have the public lay out electrical transmission lines. You have to use electrical transmission engineers who know how to measure power losses and power transmission. And they are trained to do that. And people have to be educated to handle certain jobs. You can't take the average person and say, how will you improve airplanes? They just don't know enough about aeronautical engineering. So I would say that most of the problems that we have today are technical, not political. I would say a hundred years ago, maybe politics was about the best tool we had. But today, problems are technical. How do you solve food shortages? How do you prevent highway jams? They don't even know how to do that. Your highways are crowded because everybody gets off at the same time. People get off Saturday and Sunday and your beaches are jammed. What you have, the answer to that problem is one-seventh of the population's off every day of the week. Your beaches are never jammed. And you stagger the calendar so you have three work shifts every day. So your freeways are never jammed. You don't have to build more people freeways. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Absolutely. The, the efficient use of everything. Not political. Politicians can't solve problems. Even if you said, go ahead and do what you want to do, they don't even know what to do. Now, another good question, uh, actually, that coming, I guess this person has been asked this question when trying to explain the Venus Project. How would raw materials be mined or gathered in the Venus Project as compared to the way they are today? It depends on how far ahead we go. In other words, with the advent of nanotechnology, there'll be no shortages of anything. We can make anything we want. With nanotechnology, it's taking atoms and arrange them in whatever molecular structure you need. That means the end of mining. That's what was the matter with technocracy. They talked of the energy certificate. With the advent of nanotechnology, you don't have to worry about energy certificates. That's actually a very significant difference between technocracy and the Venus Project that I think most people didn't really look into. Um, and that's actually very important. Now, uh, we have another question here. How do you view psychologists in our current society, and would we have them in the future in the resource-based economy? You have behavioral sciences. That's a study of the prime effectors of human behavior. How people get to be creative or non-creative or lazy or socially disruptive. There are factors that shape human behavior. We have to find what those factors are and eradicate them from the social system so that we don't produce aberrant behavior in the first place. In other words, you can become a member of the Ku Klux Klan today because there's no, no discriminatory methods. The Ku Klux Klan is a membership organization that bases all its decisions upon folkways, not studies. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your your conversations with the clan actually I've used as a model in my own uh, relations with other people who I, I think that in many cases are kind of thinking irrationally and you have to find ways to engage their brain and then racism becomes illogical and it goes away on its own. Yes, you don't have to work on every person. For example, the word love. What happens to love when you divorce and the wife says, I want the children, the house and the car? What happened to love? There's no such thing. It's a varying system. That's why, actually, when it comes to relationships, I have to say the model that the two of you guys have of just finding somebody that you share values with and you enjoy your time with being the you know the important factor. So many people get involved with relationships believing they're in love and they allow themselves to make very irrational decisions. Yes, uh, you can't always share relationships. You can teach a person the weather, climatology, the fact you can teach them geology, you can teach them subject matter so that they can think along your lines. But if you don't teach them the subject matter that you're familiar with, you're talking to yourself. Exactly. Um, you be alone in that case, too. If you don't work on other people and teach them what, what you know, then you'll be alone. I think in many cases, people in the relationships that they're in now, because we have a society that kind of tells people that they must be in a relationship or there's something wrong with them or yes. that values physical attraction, you end up in relationships that are just irrationally based. You find yourself lying to yourself constantly about your partner, and then and then you blame relationships as if it's relationships' fault that you weren't honest with yourself about your true compatibility. You have misunderstanding continuously. For example... In the, in the same society, people don't say it'll never fly, it won't work, but they'll point out the shortcomings. Your propeller is not proper. The horsepower is not proper to carry so many passengers in an airplane. You don't have enough wing area, but there'll be no argument amongst people. There'll be people that may question things and say, I don't know enough about it to offer an opinion on the subject. In other words, in asking people whether you think we'll ever colonate Mars, they'll say things like, I don't know enough about space travel, I know nothing about Mars, I can't answer that question. They'll keep out of things they know nothing about. Can you understand that? Oh, absolutely. And I, there's so many things that we entangle ourselves with, like for the sake of our egos, we might try to speak up on a topic that we don't know anything about, and it actually louses up all kinds of things. It really holds that mankind happens, back. That happens in a democracy when you give everyone a right to their own opinion. You're really lousing things up. In other words, if you ask a scientist, do you think we'll ever build a flying machine? He may say, I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I don't know. Instead of saying, man will never fly. Man will never get to the moon, not in a thousand years. That's an opinion. We don't want any opinions. We want to know what you know about a subject. And if you don't know about a subject, you say, I'm sorry, I don't have enough information in that area to talk about it. I have never met anybody like that, at least not yet. It's actually, you know, that's a really important point, and it comes into my own studies right now for the documentary about Internet trolling that I'm making. It's mostly just about how many different ways we don't communicate effectively because we're kind of raised that not knowing something is a reason to be humiliated, 
So we try to pretend, you know, that we you know we that we know what we're talking about, or we take it offensive if someone else proves us wrong, rather than improving our knowledge. We feel inclined to lash out because we feel embarrassed that the other person was right, and we don't learn. I think uh, that right and wrong was was some of the early terms of religion, but I, there are there are always more effective ways of doing things. But there's no right or wrong. A child without information doesn't know how to solve problems. You have to give them a course in problem solving. You have to ask them. How many people can fit on an ocean liner? And if you do say a thousand people, you have to know how much water a thousand people would use in the baths, showers, washrooms, and how much food to order. That's based on statistical studies, not opinions. You couldn't operate an ocean liner unless you had a knowledge of how many people that ocean liner can carry. Now, there's another question here about uh, disease. Uh, since in the Venus Project situation, most diseases would be eliminated, would medicine itself therefore become mostly automated? Yes, we will use a great deal of automation wherever possible. But uh, the public learns how to do problem solving. In other words, if they learn how to transmit electricity at little power losses, then the system will be installed. If they can improve that system, it will be modified. If they don't know enough about it, it will remain the same until studies are made so we can best ascertain the most probable direction to take to accomplish a given end. Now, uh, there was another question here actually about... Let me scroll up and find it again really quickly. Um, would monogamy disappear in an RBE due to the value shift meaning would you know do you think you know the concept of only one partner and one partner being together do you think that that is a concept that will fade uh yes i think that in the future you will love as many people that you meet that are lovable for different reasons yes for many different reasons but that can't work in a monetary system you you couldn't support the children you couldn't maintain payments and the monetary system does not encourage people to learn how to live together in the same way. In yeah. fact, in the future, there'll be very little conflict between husbands and wives or people that live together. Conflict resolution will not be necessary because children will learn how to handle differences in values rather than get into arguments, fights, or yelling at one another will disappear in the future because they'll say, I, I don't have enough information to make a decision in that area. They will know their limitations. I just wanted to go back to disease and address that more so. When you have a society that's really geared toward the well-being of people, you don't have a genetically modified food. You don't, you're trying to eliminate stress. You provide for the needs of people. You teach them a value system so they can relate to others. So they know how to find information when they don't have it. So, you know, that alone would get rid of a tremendous amount of disease. And then what people are working toward would be to eliminate the diseases that people have. If you have a disease and you today and there's not much money 
much profit in it to solve that problem or solve that disease if you don't have enough pills to sell to people you might not get much allocation and funding for that so um, that wouldn't be the case in a monetary in the, the venus project in the resource-based economy those are the problems that would be studied in the future and worked on and in other words, instead of soldiers they'd be sent back to school to become problem-solving engineers in other words, soldiers are just killing machines. I've mentioned that time and time again. Soldiers really have to learn how to handle differences without getting angry. How to bridge the difference between nations. That's what's missing in our culture. The Pentagon is out there and they don't know how to solve those problems. They they All they want is better armament, larger bombers, more nuclear weapons. Their systems are absolutely dangerous, and they may bring an end to the human race if we continue along the lines we've been brought up to follow. There's no such thing as a sane society today. Anywhere on earth, all nations are basically corrupt. When I say corrupt, I mean they live in violation of the scientific method. Now, there's a question here in the chat room that I think um, we've definitely talked about in the past, but it has to do with the idea of, obviously, say, for example, we're using the scientific method to determine what we build with resources. Okay. Um, now, an example that frequently comes up is that we're not going to ban things like what would normally be termed as illegal drugs because we don't believe in laws to solve mankind's issues. How do we determine scientifically then how much of these drugs to make for the average person or does it fall to them individually to make these things? I know that our intention is hopefully to educate people out of using them. Well, so go ahead. The first thing you have to do is a survey of how many cases of cerebral insufficiency, heart disease, cancer, how prevalent is it in the world. That determines how many hospitals and how many research labs. In other words... If you know that there are 7 billion people on Earth, you have to develop arable land in order to feed them, or you have to develop a system of developing nutrients to take care of those needs. If you can't meet those needs, you cannot attain a workable social system. So the survey committee tells us how many people the Earth can support, how much arable land we have, how much water we have, and how much water we need to support a population. If the population grows in excess of what the land can support, you're going to have malnutrition, territorial disputes. It has nothing to do with ethics or decency. It has to do with overpopulation. You have to maintain the population in accordance with the carrying capacity of the Earth's resources. There's just no room for argument utilizing that system. Wait, was your question, were you relating to drugs that are considered illegal today? Is that what yes, you're Yes, he's asking how you would allocate resources for things like substances that, like, you know, heroin, cocaine. Well, first of all, if people want to use that, we show them the detrimental effects and the illusions that you get from it. We show them everything about it, but if they want to use it, they're privileged to do that. But they're shown information about cancer and heart disease, cancer and smoking. We show people choking to death in hospitals. We don't say give up tobacco. 
which shows a condition of lung tissue. Fresh lung tissue can be stretched, but if you smoke a great deal, it tears when you pull on lung tissue. We show all the evidence we have against that, but it's up to you to make a decision as to what you want to do. I think there'd be a lot less people who would turn to drugs as a relief from society. Today, it's a mechanism to alleviate a lot of stress because the society today is extremely stressful and there's no way out and there's no value system that they're given in order to work their way out of things mentally even. And psychology and psychiatry will fade out in the future and we'll have behavioral sciences. The conditions that shape human behavior. Now, just to clarify, since somebody, I guess, uh, listened to what you just said and didn't get it, the answer is no, we do not deny access or force anyone in education. The idea is is that the society in general's level of education will encourage critical and analytical thinking, and the average person who's critical and analytically thinking is probably not going to take heroin. Yes, I would say that the options of the future are so rich and so inviting and so interesting I don't people I don't can't imagine people going into aberrant behavior if they're schooled properly, meaning educated to the relevance of the physical environment. I also want their senses dulled in any way because life would be interesting. They'd want to participate in it. I absolutely agree with you there, Roxanne. I think your point on that is extremely relevant. We've discussed that a couple times also during the video interview that we did when I was down there in, in Venus with you guys, is that the motivation behind the use of drugs in most instances is because people are kind of trying to escape the reality that they're trapped in and that when the world is a better place, you're not really going to be interested in that because you're going to be traveling or exploring or any number of other things that are available to you that are not generally available to people. Right. Now, let me see. There was another one here. Okay. Um, I think we've clarified that issue. There was another question. I'm going to pull it up now. Uh, we talked about monogamy. Uh, we talked about relationships. Uh, oh, Jock, do you have an opinion on industrial hemp as an environmentally friendly building material? Yes, hemp. hemp uh, yes, it's very good. However, with nanotechnology... I think we develop uh, what we call experimental materials, new materials that have the characteristics of high strength, long duration, and minimum expenditure of energy. So I think we can skip most of the natural materials and develop our own materials such as uh, uh, nanotechnology and also uh, what we call uh, extruding particles that have characteristics such as self-stiffening and long duration and self-repairing structures. In other words, we will go off into deviant paths so to make, to design buildings that can repair themselves and circuits that can update themselves rather than scrap the telephone, the telephone in the future will be self-updating by having a free circuit system a lot like the brain. In other words, the brain is capable of developing new pathways and shunting old pathways. And eventually, uh, we cannot delete old ideas, 
but in the future, I think just like your computers can delete information that is no longer relevant. And I think that the future will be very good at deleting information that's no longer relevant. A question in the chat room. Have you designed any nanomachines? No, but I know what they can do, and I know what kind of assignments to give them in the design of nanomachines, meaning you'd have to be able to state the problem before you can do nanotechnology. What is the problem? The problem is making materials much more durable. For example, can materials be designed not to wear out and break down? I think maglev trains that are suspended up off the tracks do not wear out the wheels because you have no wheels. In magnetic repulsion, there is no need for lubrication or ball bearings. Do you understand what I'm saying, Neil? Yes, absolutely. So there'd be no wear. But when people say, is it possible to make things that don't wear out? Well, according to everything we know of today, all things wear out. So people say, no, it's not possible. Just say, I don't know. It's not my field. It's not my discipline. I'd like to look into it and see what materials do exist that are long-lasting. I think um, another point that I'd like to make on the hemp issue is that uh, any kind of mass growing of anything that we need is going to be something that the, the Earth is not going to be able to handle for much longer uh, there's a very good little brief animated documentary that I helped circulate on Facebook recently called There Is No Tomorrow, and it discusses the effects of the massive farming that we've been doing and the damage that it does to the topsoil. Um, and I think to emphasize what you're discussing, you know, essentially you feel that we can do better than hemp is, I guess, what it amounts to. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Hemp today is okay to use, but once you get to the state of the Venus Project or a resource-based economy, your whole reference changes. What you use, the logic of city design, transportation, all of those, you don't build fire stations, you build fireproof buildings, so you don't need fire engines. You have no police, no prisons, because people don't have, they're not deprived of anything. And when people are not deprived of anything, they don't steal. There's just no need for that kind of behavior. And people don't get into physical arguments when they understand that they don't know enough about the subject to participate. So if you give me some time, I'm going to look into that matter instead of getting into an argument. They know where to look. On your laptop today, you can pretty much access a great deal of information. So rather than argue you access information, which will be much more available in the Venus Project. Do you feel that we would probably use industrial hemp in the earlier transition stages to an RBE? We might. I doubt it, though, because the Venus Project takes a quantum jump in the way we do things. Instead of having individual automobiles, we have adequate transportation in cities that take you anywhere in that city in less than 20 minutes or so. So the city is designed to serve maximum uh, productivity for all people. There is no social stratification. The engineers 
don't control people. They just work in their particular discipline. They do not design houses for people. People furnish the inside of the building in accordance with their background and the necessity for arranging the interior to meet their needs. There'd be a tremendous research experimentation on materials. That would be number one. I mean, one of the number one issues that they'd be experimenting with in composite materials and all sorts of experimentation. Yes, for example, furniture, instead of being designed by furniture designers, anatomists and physiologists will work on the structure of the human being and design furniture to fit the physical structure of people that utilize that furniture. Do you understand me there? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, there's so much of it just in the methodology and the fact that although we can never achieve perfection, as you know stated before, the idea is just a totally different attitude about the fact that when we go into designing something, the efficiency of it and its use of resources is a primary you know, design uh, requirement. Like, you just don't design stuff that's garbage. It just the doesn't happen. The new dominant language is, I don't know enough about the subject to offer my viewpoint on it. Sure. Once people say, I don't know, this is wonderful. Today, designers are artists. They have to design something that looks different each year so they can sell something else that's in style. They don't really design things for function and for use and for people's well-being. They don't like to know comfort. what that is. We've wasted so much good resources on that. There's a really good documentary that I would advise to the listeners. It's called uh, The Light Bulb Conspiracy. Uh, you can find a link to it on my website with English subtitles. I believe it was a Dutch film. Um, some of it was in English already, but there were parts of it that were in German, and you can find a dot subversion of it that has subtitles, and it ex explains planned, uh, planned obsolescence in great detail. Um, we're now down to the last three minutes, Jacques. Uh, is there anything else you want to bring up to the audience? I would say read up all you can on the Venus Project. Look at our website. Become familiar with the postulates that we lay out for the operation of the Venus Project. You have to read the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy. Read it at least twice or three times until you've got a pretty good picture of how it operates. Yeah, and then join us. Check out um, how to get involved on our website. We're doing all kinds of things. There are all different groups doing different things and uh, helping us with what we feel is needed for the direction of the Venus Project. And um, I'm sorry to say this, Neil, but... The language that we've learned and the value system that we have is not conducive to helping you understand the Venus Project. I agree. It's it, it, You do sometimes have to find so many different creative ways to discuss it with people when you're trying to explain it. And I'm hoping to do that during my own, um, you know, Occupy speech that I'll be doing. So we're now down to the last 90 seconds. Um, I want to thank you guys once again for coming on V-Radio. Uh, to those of you who are listening, if this is your first time checking out V-Radio, please visit my website, v-radio.org or v-radio.org. There you can find the archives of shows like this one and my must-see TV list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet. Um, I also want to thank everybody for tuning in today and everybody who's supported V-Radio so far. And thanks again, Jacques and Roxanne, for being on. Thank thanks you. for the opportunity. Always really good to talk to you. Great. 
Thank you, everybody, and um, you've, you have been listening to V Radio. Please feel free to share this uh, broadcast with anybody you want, and um, you know, bring some attention to alternative media. I essentially work for you guys. So, and if you have any ideas for shows that you haven't that you have not heard, do not hesitate to get in touch with me. You can find my contact information on my website, and also visit thevenusproject.com. If you end up on my website, there's a banner on every page of the bottom for the Venus Project. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Neil. All right. That will close off this episode. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is John Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.